0: When it gets into Revelation, I'd say, 5 through 19, there's a lot of ways Revelation can go. And this is what I've interpreted. doesn't mean in 10 years that I could change my mind on this, but this is what I've scratched the surface to find. Because if you know anything about the study of Revelation, there's a lot of interpretations of this. And so I did my best. Here we go. So when we look back at the history of God's people, we see patterns. One of the biggest patterns we see in the Old Testament is God's people forgetting what God has done for them. I'm just glad we don't do that today, right? It was just in the Old Testament that happened, right? He was the one that was faithful. He was the one who, defended, who defeated their enemies, even when they weren't faithful. Many times he did it all by himself so they would know that was from God. He was the one who rescued them And he is the one who remained faithful throughout the process. On the other hand, God's people, they would turn away from him to the earthly pleasures, the earthly pleasures, the pagan gods, the riches and the power, the ease and the comfort, depending where you find them in their history. Uh, You think of Solomon, he went to ease and comfort. He went to building grand things and things. Um, He tried the riches and power. He tried it all pretty much. And he decided that maybe that wasn't the best thing. And yet God, through all this process, he remains faithful. He keeps his promises. Sometimes he would start over. Sometimes he would set rules in place. Sometimes he, one time he sent his son. And then a little bit later after that, he sent his spirit. And yet even today we see the church creating its own gospel message, and distorting the truth that we see in the Bible, and they're turning away. We, we do our best here at White Rose to stay on the Bible, look at the theme of what it has, and look at the macro, and how does the micro fit in, instead of taking the micro and, and distorting the macro theme. God loves us, right? God loves us. We know that for sure. But if you have a loving, someone who is loving, they also have to be just, have a God of justice too, right? Has to be. Because if you don't have somebody that's just, then what would keep right from being right and wrong from being wrong, right? And we have to have right and wrong to have love. Because we want to be in love. So we see this pattern And we see the church, we like to turn away from that because we like our self-glorification and our self-gratification. And in this pattern, God calls out to his people through the prophets and through his own son. We see God long for a relationship with us. Even when we don't deserve it, God stepped in. He died on the cross for us that we might have life through his son Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit, full of grace. Praise God for that, right? I mean, without that, there's no hope. We're done. We're finished. We would not, I believe we would not be here. Satan would have wiped us out a long time ago because the hand of grace would not be on us, and there would be no love in that. So again, in this pattern, we know that, we know that God gave us that being the world, or sometimes even more specific, through the church, he gave us an ultimatum. He said, Jesus Christ will come back, and when he comes back, that's it. So he came the first time we entered into this age of grace. God longs to have love. So the ultimatum for us now, as it currently is, if we die, that's the ultimatum, right? We can't choose after death whether we're going to heaven or hell or things of that nature, right? Um, If we choose, when Jesus comes back, that's the ultimatum that we're supposed to choose beforehand. That's what faith is. Jesus says in uh, John 20 or 21, I can't remember which one it is, but he says, I think it's John 20, Blessed are those who don't see and believe when he was talking to, um, I don't know if we'll call him Doubting Thomas, or we'll call him um, Unbelieving at that time, Thomas, right? He had a hard time believing in the resurrection. He believed in Jesus. He believed in his teaching. But can he really be alive? The guy was in shock. I'll believe it when I see the holes in his hands and his side. I'll believe it then. And Jesus turns to Thomas and gives him a strong word. He says, blessed are those, he says, you've seen and you believe, but blessed are those who don't see and believe. Well, praise God for his spirit, right? Because it'd be hard to do it any other way. So if we look at this example and you find something that we can make it, bring it home a little bit so we would understand it a little bit better, I'm going to go to a farming analogy, and you may not know this or not, but when it comes to cattle and horses, cows specifically, especially dairy cows, I think they're a little bit more domesticated than the average bear, and did you know that a cow will eat itself to death? A horse will too. If you let a horse have enough to eat, it'll eat itself to death, especially like oats. It'll just go and go and go. Cows will do the same thing. If they can get corn, it'll just go and go and go, and then they'll bloat and die. And so when, when a domesticated animal, much like us, when we follow the way of their master, they're fed until they're content, right? And we, or they, were confined to, to a pen and this is for our protection so god gives us moral a moral pen to stay within says if you stray outside of this you're in danger of losing your salvation and they still have a spirit of their own they still need to be trained to bring others into the pen right They still need to be led. They can be ridden. So they can be very useful. They can be led. They've been ridden. They still need to be cared for. And if they have a good disposition about them, they're kept. And if they don't, they're called for better stock. stock. If you look at a farmer farmer manager's plan, what he would do, he would set up... um, you want, you want cattle that will gain weight. You want cattle that will do it efficiently. Um, but you want a good disposition about them. Do you know what that means? They have a good attitude, in a sense. It's a, it's a dairy term for... They have a nice disposition about them, you know? It sounds sophisticated for us farmer folk, right? Um, but don't you want that in the same in the church? Don't we want to have a good attitude? Doesn't a good attitude reflect Christ in you? If you're sourpuss all the time, are you really allowing Christ to change you? Sometimes, sometimes. Because we don't know your circumstances, where you've come from. Maybe you've changed from impossibly sour to just kind of sour. I don't know. But I think when Christ gets a hold of you, I think he just, even through the pain, you have joy. I've seen some people going through some major sufferings that, that Christ is in their life, and they just praise God through it. And it's a choice, isn't it? It's not an easy one. It is not. So this brings us, all this to say, it brings us to Revelation chapter 6, and I begin to see the calling process across the world. So whoever's left at this point, will be in what the church calls the great tribulation or the beginning of the tribulation. I don't know if it's the great tribulation quite yet, but it's the calling process has started in here. And and this is Revelation chapter 6 and the pattern we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I got to say that God does not necessarily spare his chosen people from the trials of many kinds. If you look back through the Old Testament I want to see any part where God pulls out his people, and I can only think of about one, and that's Noah, when God starts over. He pulls him out. It does, he's persecuted for 100 years, and then he pulls him out and destroys, and then he starts over. Right? So I'll, I don't know if that's, it's not necessary um, God's pre trib, post trib, or mid trib, or anything like that. It's to say, let's be prepared. Because God doesn't necessarily say, hey, you're my chosen people. You don't have to suffer. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Matter of fact, it says through suffering, a lot of time you'll have growth and things. It just makes me so excited to be a follower of Christ right now. I'm like, oh boy, right? But we know there's a lot that goes along with that. That joy that's unexpressible, it continues in the suffering that joy does. It's like, well, how can they be like that? Well, I can't. And that's where God gets the praise, right? I don't know why I'm like this. Well, I do. It's Jesus Christ, not because of anything that I've done. I would have given up a long time ago. And so give him the praise in that. And so in Revelation chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. We're going to break this into couplets all the way through for the first eight verses. And we're going to start with 1 and 2 because we're talking about the four horsemen. And we're not back at Notre Dame, the four horsemen. They get that from the Bible, believe it or not. So uh, the four horsemen, these are the four horsemen that go through, and we're going to check out what happens. This is John speaking. He says, As I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals in the scroll and then heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked up, and I saw a white horse standing there. His rider carried a bow, and a a crown was placed on his head, and he rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. i titled these two verses, The Great Deceiver. As I've studied Revelation, like I said, there's been some disagreement as who this horseman represents. Some will say that he represents Jesus Christ and that... He's the victor that's come out because the gospel's been spread throughout the whole land. And so we're excited about that, and we can be excited about that. And so he is coming to let us know that he is coming back. That is not the stance that I take, however. Because if you look at Revelation chapter 19, you see Jesus as riding on a white horse. And he comes back as the conquering king. Uh, This is a little bit different image of him. Because if you look at Jesus in 19, he's carrying a, a sword. Here, he has a bow. And I thought that was interesting. So I did some research into that and what people thought about that. So I, I guess I go along with the lines that say, this is the Antichrist. And that you see this kind of same illustration of the four horsemen. If you look at Zechariah 1, one, It's about verse 9-ish through 14 or so And then most of chapter 6, it talks about these four horsemen or four beings around the throne that go out and they survey the earth. And if you look at the number four, it has to do with creation. The earth was created on the fourth day. If you, uh, you have the four cardinal directions and things, and that they usually generally go in those directions, by the way. So they send them out north, south, east, and west. And so, they first they patrol the earth in chapter 1 of Zechariah, and then they have peace. And then, in chapter 6, they bring judgment on the four corners of the earth. And what kind of judgment, who do they need to judge? Well, the one of the best passages defined for that is in 2 Thessalonians, which is clear pretty close to the back. If you look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to expand it out just a little bit to give it a little context. We're going to read 7 through 12. It says, For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one holding it back steps out of the way. Okay? So we have a lawlessness working in the world today. It is there, working secretly, behind the scenes, destroying, setting up for destruction and getting ready for that. And it will remain secret until the one holding it back steps out of the way. Who do we know that's holding that back? You could say God. You could say Jesus. But I'd say it's the Holy Spirit who's on the earth right now and Jesus. I mean, it's a combination of all three. It's timing of God through what Jesus did on sacrifice and uh, the Holy Spirit is putting the power right now in there to do that, okay? So verse 8, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This is also the same illustration we see in Revelation, by the way, of Jesus. And these are two different authors, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, John talks it with the sword of his mouth, okay? So it's very interesting there. Um, Verse 9, then the man will come and do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and science and miracles. This is the passage 6 right here. And he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Wow, are there consequences for sin? Sure sounds like it. (laughs) Wow, I don't want to be on the other side on that one. So Satan is already on this earth. He's working his plan of lawlessness. In the last days, Christ will step out of the way and it will begin a pattern that we see in the rest of the Bible that we've seen throughout the rest of the Bible. We see it of conquest, war, famine, and death. You see this pattern throughout the Old Testament, and we see it again here in Revelation as a judgment from God. Okay, In verse 9 of that 2 Thessalonians passage, chapter 2, it says, He will come with counterfeit power. Counterfeit power. I can think of several political statements I could say right now that would probably hack at the heels of both parties. Counterfeit power, right? The biggest biggest counterfeit power right now that I would say is the stimulus checks. Both, both sides have done it, so it's a safe one to go to. But think about it. We're spending money that doesn't belong to us, We're giving it away um, of our future generations, right? That's not our money to give away, to make sure the economy stays where it is because we want to be comfortable, right? And signs and miracles, they keep adding up more and more. The more and more I study, the more I see the signs and wonders of Christ um, ending this age. He will use every kind of evil deception to make himself look good to fool those in their way of distractions because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. That's one of the best things I've seen out of this COVID is people are waking up to their own unrighteousness. Am I, am I ready to meet my maker? I don't think I am. I need to get right with the Lord. And so they're taking time when life is slowed down and they're stuck home all by themselves and they have to deal with, with their wickedness, right? And God makes a clear calling to them to turn to him. That's what the church, this is where we need to shine, Right? So back to the man. So likewise, we see this conqueror. He comes with a bow and not a sword. But he doesn't have any arrows. And so a lot of people say, and I think this is probably uh, very likely true, that it would be a political win. He doesn't need to fight because he has a silver tongue. He has a crown on his head that looks like he looks right. I think, I think what he's saying is true. I think we need to follow him. You know, he makes a lot of sense. But we see a single crown on his head, right? When Jesus comes back the second time, he's going to have several crowns on his head. He's going to wear many facets, not just one, not just a political facets. We're going to know that he's God several different ways. Amen? Amen. So be careful of that. Be careful of the deception. He looks a lot like the Messiah. He looks like he has the answers, but he's not. He's the great receiver. And what do we notice in that 2 Thessalonians passage? That God rewards those who seek the truth. We have life in Christ, everlasting if we can see past this. Pastor, I don't know if I'm strong enough. Well, Isaiah forty thirty one. this is a great memory verse if you haven't memorized it. It'd be a great one to get on a card, a three-by-five card, put in your back pocket so you have it with you. It says, for those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And um, the NIV, I believe it says, they that wait upon the Lord. That's interesting that um, the NLT changes it to trust. How much trust do we have in the waiting? That's a hard one, isn't it? Oh, it's any time now, God. It's, it's almost there. We can do it. And then he shows up, it seems like. And it's like, no, he was, already, he was always there, right? He never left us. He's always there in the waiting, and he's there in the solution, too. Praise God. God knows his people and the character they display under pressure. Even the little decisions we make can have eternal consequences or rewards. Let's move on to verses 3 or 4 in Revelation. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the living... The second living being say, come, and then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. This was war and slaughter, and there was war and slaughter everywhere. God starts to remove his hand of protection at this instance. right? God is pulling back, and we have the red horse. He will take the peace from the earth. I think that's a an interesting way to put it. He didn't say he's going to bring war to the earth. He's going to take peace away from the earth. So where there was peace in relationship, there may not be peace in relationship anymore. You may have a hard time trusting your brother, let alone trusting another country. War might be a little bit more individual even as much it is on a global scale. And so that... It's one thing I found very interesting in this study. And if deception reigns through this political leader, war is inevitable to follow because people like their power and they don't like it when it's taken away from them. And I'm sure his solution will be, oh, we could just all come together as one government. And we like to seek justice, don't we? We we don't like it when somebody takes what's not theirs in the first place. And you can see this in kids today. They understand justice. That's not fair. He, he can't do that. I shot from back here. He he cheated. He started before I did. Right? Have you ever heard that on the playground? You ever heard that on the in the church running around? I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's not fair. I shot him. That's a Nerf battle thing. So it's like, He didn't go out when he was supposed to. I tagged him. Or if you see an unbalance in the teams and one team starts to win and the score gets unbalanced, the teams aren't fair. They're not fair. We need to have so-and-so on our team. When people with power don't think things are fair, they'll want justice too. And they do today. Whether they're in the right or not, They'll, they think they're right, and they want to go, they want to hang on onto that little thing that they have, and they don't. But we've got to remember, things don't make us a somebody, do they? Possessions don't make us a son, somebody. Power don't make us a somebody. Character makes you a somebody. The fruit of the Spirit makes you a somebody. Remember, everybody's a somebody. We're in Christ's body, right? We're all part of God's body, and so we need to remember that everybody is a somebody when we are in Christ's body, when we're in the church, when we're working together. But a lot of times, we think we're a somebody, don't we? Like we get out into the political arena sometimes, or we get a little money, or we get a little power, and we think we're somebody, and we think we got something going on. Um, we can we can see this. I can see this as a as a pastor. I'm like, oh look what I'm doing. I've got this done, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing it for the Lord. That's about usually the time the the Lord goes, oh yeah. At least he hasn't turned me into a bird man yet, like he did uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but I've seen him pull his hand back and say, let's, let's examine this a little bit. Let's see. Are, are, are you doing this? Because I thought I was doing this. And so we need to give the praise where praise is due. All right. Can you see this in your business? Can you see this in your family? Can you see this going through sickness Often we go through those things and we wonder, why is this happening to me? We ask that why question, right? But we also know that we grow in the suffering. Nobody likes it when the stock market crashes. Nobody likes it when the oxygen level crashes, right? Nobody likes that. No. But through those things, Christ is working. So I ask you, what removes the peace in your life? What removes the peace in my life? And I came up with two things. One is kind of all-encompassing, and then I got a little bit more specific. So when we pursue something out of selfish ambition, God will not honor that. It very often corrupts a person's character. We need to pray that we stay in God's will. So if I were to pursue a larger attendance, it sounds good because I want people to know about Jesus, and I do want people to know about Jesus, but I think it's going to come out of the overflow of the gospel being preached. At least that's the, what I keep telling myself. And I think God honors that. But when I start to, to try to make that my own agenda, and I try to make that like, oh, if I could just get more people in here, that never works out. It never does. I've tried that before several times in youth ministry. I've tried it in, in church and that's not surrender. That's taking the bull by the horns and saying, God, you need to walk this way. And he's like, if you just, it was right, right there, right around the corner and you missed the corner and you ran right into the wall. I'm good at running the walls. I'm getting better at it, or maybe better at avoiding the walls and listening to the still small voice as I get older. But I, I can grab that bull by the horns and I can ram to that wall hard, right? I think we all can in our own different ways. And it's through selfish ambition. And when I get to that point and I look at the things, I got to ask God for to, to forgive me. Lord, let me surrender to your spirit. Let me come and walk in your ways and not in selfish ambition. The second one is the pursuit of happiness. It can take away our peace faster than anything. But isn't that the American way? Yeah, it is the American way. And the pursuit of happiness is the end of the American way, right? But how hard do you pursue happiness? I just want to be happy. Well, what, what would be make you happy? Well, it used to be a car, a house, and a family, right? That was the American dream. But we've accomplished most of that. Most of us have. And if we haven't, maybe we're still pursuing that. But I can tell you that's a it's a dead-end road there. Those are all things, nice things to have, but they should be out of... They should be the result of good character. They should be the result of the fruit of the Spirit. They should be the result of, and sometimes they're not. Because sometimes our circumstances, they just take those things away, right? How You can find a hospital bill that can wipe out your life savings like that, right? And so we need to trust that there's something bigger than a car, a house, and a happy family. There's something bigger than that. Something more to pursue than that. So peace has little to do with happiness and more to do with being content with what we have. Contentment is being satisfied with what the Lord has given us. Being thankful for what he has given us. Praise God for my guitar that I currently have. Right, that's how we have to do it. Right, and it starts off that way. But then you think, well, what if you didn't have that particular thing? What if it were gone? What if I didn't have my family? What if God removed one of my family members from this world? Yes, sometimes they can be a pain, but I don't want them gone. Right. So we praise God for what we have. Praise God for the blessings of family. Praise. Praise God for the blessings of that car, even though it may not be the standard of the car we wanted. Or praise God for that leaky roof because it's a roof. And then ask him for the blessing and maybe be able to figure out how to fix it. Contentment is being satisfied with what the Lord has given us. We are managers. We are stewards of what he has given us. And he asks us to manage it well. They are not to control us. They are there to be our rewards and sometimes our curses. (laughs) God knows his people and the character they display under pressure. He knows. Even the little decisions we make have eternal consequences or they have eternal rewards. Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, When the Lamb broke the third seal, I heard the living being say, come, and I looked up and I saw a black horse and his rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands and I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay and don't waste the oil and the wine. What does that mean, Pastor House? I look at this as unbalanced scales, unbalanced scales. The black horse, we see famine. We see a lack of food for everyone. Well, that usually happens when war comes. It's a result of war sometimes. Sometimes it's a result of God placing a drought on the world. A day's wages would equal one meal for one person. So what if I have six people in my family like I currently do? Well, they all better get out there and work if you want to eat. What if they're sick? Well, then don't worry, you can get the barley bread, which is fit for well, your donkey. Right? You ever ate barley? Did you know that grape nuts were made out of barley? You're like, hmm, maybe I could handle that. Well, not a loaf of you don't go like, hey, where's the barley bread, honey? You know, that's not, it's still not great today. It's refined and it's better than it used to be, but it's still not as good as, as wheat bread and things. And so the, the quality of it is cheaper, and so therefore that's why you can get more of it. It will fill your, fill your belly more. It's, if it's good enough to feed your donkey, it's good enough to feed little Timmy. That's kind of the attitude that some would have. And someone else would be like, hey, you know, we have the oil and wine. We got the oil and wine over here. And they're going to be like, well, don't waste it on them. Don't waste it on them. Not only do we have people struggling to get by, we have others that are living in luxury in this, I believe. And I, but, you know, I'm just glad we don't have that today oh, wait a minute, right? I can already hear it, And <laughs> the grumble. Good, that's how we should react. And, that, and that, that's not to say that God hasn't blessed you with things or things like that, but it's what do you do with those blessings that he has given us, right? And as we go, do you know that if you're living on more than $2 a day, that you are blessed? Most of the world, A third of the world's population today is living on $2 a day or less. And that's a hard number to count, I found, as you look through the things. The best one I could find is a BBC report, and it was from 2012, and they said this is a hard number to come up with because a lot of countries don't report people that don't make anything. And so it doesn't go in the... In the pop or into the statistics because they don't make anything, so we don't count them. They're saying they're less than people, it's kind of what they're saying. There, that's that's hard. Did you know in South Africa they're in another drought season? They were in a bad drought season, they got a little bit of rain in, in 2013 and 14, but they're right back into it again, and um. You don't hear that on the news very often. I heard a blip a few weeks ago, probably because they finally got enough out of COVID for a little bit. So, oh yeah, over in um, Somalia and there's another one, they're about ready to revolt because they don't have food. You know what they live on? They make wafers out of clay just to fill their bellies so they have enough to not feel the hunger pains. It's no nutritional value, it just takes away the hunger. That's tough. So, I don't know. That, we need to have some sympathy for those people. We need to be, what can I do about that? Well, one thing, you could reach out to your senator and, and bring attention to some of these countries that need that or your House of Representative. They really do care about these other countries. Maybe they should give to those that, that really need the food. Right? But, I think I tend to be a little bit more self-centered, and so I'm probably not going to really do any of that stuff, and I'd rather keep up with the Kardashians or maybe the good housewives of so-and-so, right? So the scales, they're they're already getting out of balance, we see today. And we're only concerned if the scales are in our favor. And I... I, I'm trying not to bring this in, but the stimulus checks. Anybody write a check back to the government? Say no, thanks. I didn't need it. No, I don't think anybody did. And if they did, praise God, you got you're better than I did because I didn't do it. Um, how does? Okay, I was like, what does that say? How does the world we know today, how do they know that we love God? By love how we love our neighbor, right? If you're going to love God, you've got to love others, right? It's right there on the sign. If you can't see it, then maybe I don't have the camera t- tip there, but I'm pretty sure I do. If you are got to love God, you've got to love your neighbor. How do we love our neighbor? By loving ourselves, right? Who's our neighbor? <laughs> don't ask Jesus that question, I'll go into a story. Right? We don't want an answer. We do not want that answer. I'm convinced we don't want that answer because if we really did, we we would love our neighbor even better. And do we do a good job at loving our neighbor? Yeah. But I think, I mean, we started the food pantry. That's that's a good way to start loving our neighbor, right? But What's the next thing? What's the next thing? When we do something for the youth group, I always say, "Well, how can we do that better?" When we do the the food pantry, how can we make this better? You know, I'm, we may not have came up the original idea of a food pantry because goodness knows there's been food pantries around for hundreds of years, but how can we do better for our community? How can we share Christ's love better? You know, we had two gentlemen in the congregation walking around and during COVID knocking on doors just to say, hey, you're more than welcome to come to church and God loves you. I thought that was awesome. That was a very cool thing to do and bold to do in the COVID season. Love requires sacrificial action. It does. If you really want to show that you love somebody, how did you sacrifice for that person? It me a ton of bricks when somebody did that to me about 10 years ago. Didn't have a mower, couldn't afford it, just bought my house, and he came and mowed my lawn. And I just couldn't fathom it that, uh, why would you do that? And he says, well, I do a little bit for you, and I do a little bit for me. For me, because I'm going through some stuff, and I want to get get it off my chest, and for you, because you need your lawn mowed. Now, next season, this is going to be on you. And I was like, okay. I bought a, bought a mower then. And I appreciated that. And it set an example for me that I will never forget because love requires sacrificial action. He didn't have to do that, but he did it anyway. And that was something that taught me a lesson of what it means to love sacrificially. We're quick to find the injustices done to us, aren't we? And we're slow to see it in our neighbor. We'll see the injustices done to us right away. Oh, that's not fair. We can't do that. We can't. Scoff, scoff, scoff. I can't believe. Can you believe what Martha was talking about? Right? It just, oh my goodness. She said I should go in the kitchen and help her. You know, that would be Mary out on the, no. And we need to be, have that joy. Um, Mm. But we're slow to see that in our neighbor. Mary was slow to see what Martha was doing in the kitchen to serve everybody else, wasn't she? She chose the right thing at the time, but there was other times that Mary helped. You see it later on when Jesus comes back. Mary and Martha were serving. Do you remember that passage? It says that later on in John. We need to take time to look. Open our eyes, look at our neighbor's. I even see this sometimes in my prayer life. Lord, I need. Lord, help me. Lord, fix the problem for me. And oh yeah, help little Timmy too. He's not feeling well. Amen. My brothers and sisters, this cannot be. We need to start our prayers with others in mind. We need to start our prayers with God in mind. And then when we finish our prayers, oh yeah, Lord, I could use help with this. Right? That's important. That's important. God's word, the truth, it tells us in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard other one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow. Now one can be convicting. God knows his people and the character they display under pressure. Even the little decisions we make can have eternal consequences or rewards. As we finish up the passage today in 7 and 8, Revelation 6, it reads like this. When the Lord broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth being say, come. And I looked up and I saw a horse with, whose color was pale green, its rider was named Death, and his companion was the Grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. What's the Greek word for, for death? I think it's Thanos. I think that's what it's called. You ever heard of a Marvel character named Thanos? That would be, it's either Latin or Greek. Uh, That would mean death and destruction. Do you think the world has clued in just maybe a little bit to this? Since we just had a huge Marvel series. It was the four horsemen. It's the four horsemen right there. It's nothing new under the sun. Punishment as a result of disobedience. We we often study these scriptures thinking, hey, I'm going to be out of here. I don't have to worry about this. God's going to come and take me away. But let's look at Ezekiel chapter 14. We see a pattern very similar to this in verses 21 through 23. It says, Now this is what the sovereign Lord says to us. How terrible it will be for when all four of these dreadful punishment fall on Jerusalem. War, famine, wild animals, and disease. Destroying all her people and animals. Yet there will be survivors, and they will come here to join you as exiles in Babylon. You will see with your own eyes how wicked they are, and they will, and you will feel better about, it, about what I've done in Jerusalem. He's talking to Ezekiel here. And when you meet them and see their behavior, you will understand that these things are not being done to Israel without cause. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. God knows our wickedness. He knows why he is here to put us there. And I don't believe God's going to spare his own people. He walks us right through the trials just like everybody else. So why would he spare us now? So we need to be prepared for that. It doesn't mean that he won't spare us because I'm not God. I don't know his thoughts. He may pull us out before that. Praise God if he does. But I'm going to be prepared if he doesn't. In the sense that spiritually I'm going to be ready. The four horsemen, they're a warning for God's people, Christians, to repent, to be ready, to think of others above yourself. God is holding back his judgment until it is time. We have a calling to repent of our sins, turning away from them and follow the Lord. Go away. They go away, the sins do, and they don't come back. We have a calling to tell others. We are not the hero of this story. Too often today, we make ourselves the hero. If you hear somebody's testimony from the church, and this is what happened, and this is what happened, and I was delivered out of this and this and this, but I get done with that story, and I've often wondered, well, doesn't it kind of seem like they pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps? And I, I know that's not really what they meant, but they kind of just made themselves their own hero. And we've got to be careful about doing that in ourselves, right? God is our hero. God pulled us out of the muck of the mire. We didn't do it, we didn't have the strength. If we had the strength, we would have never been in the first place. And if we were, we would have got out of it a long time ago. The only person that can change the soul is Jesus Christ. And if you want to continue in that process of change it's surrendering him the pain and the glory. You're like, man, Shane, are you ever going to get off that theme? Not for a while. Not for a while, because that's what grace is. That's what grace is. You give him the pain, which is easy sometimes to do, or Give them the glory. Sometimes that's easy to do. But usually we can't give both. We want to hang on to one or the other. I'm a glory hog. I like to hog the glory. I'll give God all the pain he wants. Right? But there's other people I've met that they'll give God all the glory, but they'll hang on to the pain. It's usually one or the other. It's hard to see a balance. When you see somebody that's balanced in both, I personally stand in and be like, wow, God is working in that person. So remember that. But that's the kind of God I serve. He's a God. I praise God because of my salvation, your salvation, it depends much, much less on my faith and more and more on his faithfulness I would have given up a long time ago, and I think we would have too, but he never stops giving up. I want to quit. He doesn't. He's there. He knew the cost of what it meant to die on the cross. He knew what it, the cost of paying for the world, and he paid it freely, full of joy. This is the kind of God I serve because he set the example. I can be a little example to others. I'm going to give him the glory, right? God knows his people and the character they display under pressure, even in the little decisions we can make, can have eternal consequences or eternal rewards. Remember our faithful God and remember to give him the glory. Let's pray and then we'll go into communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your glory. We thank you for um, dying on the cross and that you rescued us. Lord, you're warning us to repent and to turn to you, to get our priorities straight, to have you as the master and we are the steward. I pray that we would continue to do so. Lord, forgive us when that gets out of whack and then when we turn away from you. As we come before you in communion today, I pray that you would uh, guide us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.